and welcome to RTB, the podcast from Northeast Ambulance Service. I'm Rhea Kilmister-Dawson, an EOC trainer at NIAS, and in this episode I speak to Andy Bell, Assistant Dispatch Service Manager. So good afternoon Andy, welcome to RTB. How are you doing today on this lovely cold day? I'm good, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's a strange change in the weather, but actually one I'm quite glad of. Yeah, fine. Lovely. Um, so today we've got you in talking about um, dispatch and how the dispatch function is kind of an integral part of what we do in EOC. Full disclosure, I was a health advisor and now a health advisor trainer. So I am, you know, I have got some inkling of what you guys get up to. Um, but we're really just going to kind of look at what it is you guys do, the development that you guys do, how you support um, A&E and unscheduled care as well, and just give you an opportunity to really boast about what a fantastic place it is to work at. Oh, wow. I'll do my best. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) No pressure. First thing really that we want to talk about a little bit is how dispatch is often seen as kind of like a hidden part of the service because the public don't really know about you. They don't speak to you. and you know you're really more in contact with the crews and doing things like that so why don't you give us kind of a little bit of an idea of what it is that that dispatch does um and how you support our patients and in our region yeah it's it, it is that limited interaction with the public that kind of contributes to our hidden status if you like um probably the the dragonfly production of, of ambulance helped a little bit but uh, I'm not sure the public quite understood the difference between health advisors uh, and dispatchers. A lot of ambulance services, um, the, the roles are combined. So it's, uh, but we obviously have two distinct teams uh, that, that are very different with different skills. Although some dispatchers have been health advisors, uh, including mm-hmm. myself, um, a long, long time ago. But yeah, it's a it's a fast paced uh, environment. Um, we, 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 we sit in front of three large computer screens, as you know, uh, mm-hmm. one with the uh, communication system and the other two have what we call the CAD system, computer, computer aided design that stands for, and that's got the dispatch list on which, um, which those calls just pour into. And then obviously the dispatchers have got to try and make that decision of who they're going to send, uh, with limited resources. Um, some actually somebody once described. Um, let me think. Di- dispatch is uh, dispatchers is like conductors of an orchestra, coordinating all the um, well responders in our in our case, um, but not really wholly appreciated their skills, their intricacies, what goes on behind the scenes. A bit like a conductor, I suppose, who's who is at the front, um, but probably not everybody would really understand what a conductor does, how he conducts all the, the different musicians to, to you know, create that, that harmony. Um, rather fast-paced uh, orchestra in here, though, if, uh, if we can use that analogy. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I don't think um, people quite realise, you know, the scale of what it is that you're managing. So why don't you kind of break it down for us a little bit, like how you're structured in dispatch and how it kind of all works. So so basically, if you can just picture it, I try and paint the picture. Um, a dispatcher will sit with those three computer screens, um, the one that has the, the CAD system on, 
Um, they have a dispatch list, um, which is split into three sections. That's the kind of main screen the dispatchers monitor. Uh, and th- those three lists show the cases which have been triaged uh, and are currently unallocated, so still allocate an ambulance to. Um, cases going through triage, which is, you know, that's the middle section, and then we've got the GP urgents as well. Um, the communication officers, they monitor the hospital handovers, all the resource status, so they'll have 30 to 40 um, crews, rapid responders, just to keep an eye on their status, um, where they're at in the in, in the job cycle, etc. And then, uh, obviously, um, the communications officers deal predominantly with phone calls from the crews and, and rapids, and also the radio communication, uh, which can include um, pre-alerts to hospitals uh, and the dispatchers focus on the incoming incidents. Um, the dispatcher will have to look for information and ask themselves questions. Is there site safety risk to be aware of? Is the case likely to be a potential C1? If so, does it need a group broadcast? Have we got anybody nearby? Uh, have they got an available resource? What else is waiting in the area? Can we divert somebody from a lower priority call? Um, if there's nobody, is the resource coming available? Can I get a crew clear? Does it need a specialist resource? Um, does this case need a second resource? If it's a C1, for example, does it need commander support? Is it likely a C treat and leave, which um, we, we predominantly send the, the APs and the, the advanced practitioners and the rapid responses to? to? Um, it's just a whole myriad of, of things that they've got to consider and, and look at. And uh, obviously, each dispatcher is doing that about maybe 100 times a day. Um, yeah, it's, it's really fast-paced and, and hectic. Yeah, so I know, obviously, from being on the other side, because I'm, I'm the person on the phones, I'm aware of how many jobs you guys are getting sent Um from an individual person, never mind from everybody that's taking calls within the operation center. Um, so you did mention there, obviously, there's a lot of decisions that are being made by the dispatch officer. Um, can you kind of talk us through a little bit about how they will make those decisions based on the information that they, they get in the job? So what's coming from like the EO, the other side of the EOC, from the health advisor side? What What are they specifically looking at to think, right, this is where this could be and how do they come to those decisions? Yeah, again, just painting the picture. So say um, we'll have a desk and the dispatcher has, say, 10 emergency cases unallocated, uh, four going through triage. Um, they've got, obviously, handover delays perhaps going on, meal break period, radios and phones going, um, and then a serious RDC comes in. Um, so obviously that composure and that ability to think clearly and focus on on those tasks that they need to prioritise and what to delegate. Um, and the way that works is, um, obviously, as the call's being triaged, the dispatcher will review that case and just get an understanding of what might be required. Uh, and it might not be something that requires immediate support. Um, for example, if we've got C2s waiting and it's a C3, but it's always good to have that understanding of what each and every case is, what each and every patient needs, and also what the crews need as well, because um, this is obviously about the patients, but obviously we have a service to provide to the, the, the crews and, and other responders. Um, but once that final priority code has been reached or indicated, um, then obviously the dispatchers will assign a resource if available. The system can help with that. We've got a quite a large mapping system, and obviously the, the, the vehicles are 
can be mapped on our system. So a lot of dispatchers will use the map, will have a lot of local knowledge, uh, and just looking at the map where the resource is and where the, the, the incident is, they can tell straight away who's going to be the closest, closest or who they need to divert. But we also have system suggestions as well, so the system will help with that decision-making. But in, in addition to the, the final priority code, we also have something else. We have some sub-priority sub codes for um, C2 incidents, which are based on specific symptom criteria. So if the dispatchers find a suitable case, they'll enter an appropriate subcode. Um, so, for example, a, a patient having a stroke uh, and prioritizes a C2, that would get a, a P5, as we call it, priority five. And that would go before a C2 without a subcode, regardless of the time it came in. Um, in essence, what it means is that the C2 allocation is prioritized on clinical urgency as well as, as, well as time order. Um, a lot of it is really dynamic. There's not much planning to it these days. I think back when I was a dispatcher, you could plan a little better than you can now. It's just uh, it's just too fast-paced and there's just uh, too much demand um, with what limited resource we've got. Yeah, and obviously from my side, I know you get you know you get your your predispositions as well on nine nine nine. So if it's like a C one predisposition where what they've said has been something that's really really high acuity, you'll get that little question mark C one that comes up on jobs as well, don't you? Um, and we know we, we do have um, a lot of different kind of resources which we do send out to patients depending on their needs. So um, obviously we now know like how you prioritize the job and and when to send the job. So how would you kind of for want of a better word, kind of prioritise which resource to send? So, yeah, that's that's based on deployment criteria. So we all our resources, paramedic, emergency care technicians, they all have specific deployment plan. So your, your, your paramedic crews will be prioritised um, for your, your Category 2 cases, um, whereas your emergency care technician crews uh, will be prioritised for C3 cases, the healthcare professional urgent. Obviously, we have a number of specialist uh, resources, so uh, something like an RTC, depending on uh, how critical the incident is or how critical the patient is, uh, we might set off a specialist um, paramedic um, that can do a lot of pre-hospital care on scene. Um, we've obviously got um, GNAS, uh, who, who again can bring those extra skills to the to the the incident and support the crews on scene. Um, some of our cases need commanders on. If there's uh, three or more resources on scene, then we will send um, a clinical team leader uh, to, to to the scene um, just to manage it and be that, that tactical support. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a whole host of things to think about when you're. Yeah, you're making these decisions and the deployment plans are quite complicated. Uh, there's a lot of stuff they've got to memorize because uh, nothing's in the system that says, you know, this case is suitable for a specialist paramedic or this case is suitable for the heart team. Um, and that, that comes down to uh, training, uh, ongoing support um, from, from the shift managers, the duty manager, the dispatch supervisor. And now we'll have the clinical team leaders in the EOC. So they, 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 may, they really help with the decision-making and, and give it that, um, that, that clinical input as well. And obviously that operational experience. Um, I think it's been one of our most positive um, things that have happened in dispatch 
over the last couple of years, bringing uh, clinical team leaders into the AOC. Um, that's that's been a really um, positive highlight, yeah. I would say. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's been a lot of changes happening in dispatch over the last couple of years. Um, I know that, and they're still kind of taking place a little bit as well. Um, but you yeah. mentioned there, you mentioned GNAS, which is the Great North Air Ambulance Service. Um, yeah. So obviously people may not know that we do have quite a few external partners that we work with as well. So it's not just our yeah. specialist teams that we have that work in-house, including working within the hospitals. And I know there's been quite a lot of development over the last 12 months with these kinds of things. So can you kind of talk us through that and how we're trying to kind of ease the pressure everywhere by working with our external partners? Yeah, so, um, I mean, what, what, one of the um, one of the other positives that, that's happened over the, the last few years is the introduction of um, the integrated care system and how we now all work closely together. There's obviously conference calls every day. Um, everybody gets together. All the the nine acute um, mental health trusts, everybody will be on that conference call discussing the pressure, um, sharing, that, that, giving that situational awareness, um, offering mutual aid. Um, I was on a call yesterday or the day before, sorry. Um, and there's some really good collaborative conversations and for one hospital that was um, under severe pressure, another two hospitals came to the aid and said, look, we can help you for a couple of patients between 11 and 1300, uh, and then see where you're, where you're at then, see if you can kind of try and recover a bit. So that's really imp- important. We'll have the hospital desk, so that's experienced dispatch staff um, from dispatch supervisor level upwards that, that work on that desk. It is on an overtime basis. But we also have some clinical team leaders and duty officers that also um, volunteer for that role. Um, and that means there's somebody dedicated to have 24-7 conversations with uh, patient flows, um, hospital strategics, um, making them aware. Sometimes there's that human factors come into it and you can ring a patient flow and there's just no idea how the handovers have crept up to that. To, to that level so um we're, the, the, we're, we're quicker at getting that information through the hospitals and therefore they're quicker to act on it uh, as well so that's been um an important um progression over the last couple of years uh, and obviously the handovers uh, you know they have they have got worse um you know regularly receive would base uh, an incident uh, over a 90 minute job cycle which is roughly how long it takes us to complete an incident. There can be uh, yesterday, for example, for, for that, the, the last time we had at the hospitals, which I think it's about 70 hours, something like that, uh, equated to 46 or 47 patients we could have got to sooner. Um, so obviously that, that there's a huge impact there. Um, but yeah, these, these conversations, working as an integrated care system um, is really, really helping. Obviously, we we have a load of external agencies we work with. Obviously, there's the fire and police. We share the same airwaves network with them. So critical incidents, major incidents, we can get through their dispatch really quickly. Um, search and rescue, we have, uh, we've have we got a link to their system. So we don't even have to call them now. We just uh, log a call through to them on their search and rescue system. And then they respond to it and we can update them. Um, via text as well through that system. 
Um, it's the same with the first responders. They've, they've all got pages that we can, um, we, we can communicate with. Uh, we also train regularly with the fire and police. Obviously, we'll have the, the Jessup, which I'm sure um, a lot of people listening to this, if there is a lot of people listening <laughs> to this, um, they, they, we have a set of shared principles to help with that joint work, and that's called Jessup. Um, it's all about collaboration, communication, um, that, that awareness of the current situation, um, shared understanding the risks, uh, and it's all to the, the big thing in the middle is um, is um, reducing harm and, and saving lives. So yeah, we we, we do that we, we do that quite regularly. Um, we've got two two training sessions with them this year. Um, obviously, Jean asked. We've talked about uh, one of our dispatchers actually just moved across. Um, to work as a dispatcher for GNAS, but uh, they have a link to our system, so they're currently constantly monitoring our cases and and see if they can pick up on something that um, either we've mi- missed or um, you know there's been occasions where they've actually called patients or callers back. Yeah, I mean you mentioned there like you know hospital handovers and hospital pressures. That's not something that is exclusive to our region either. That's something that's no. going on throughout the country. Um, and can you just talk us through a little bit? Because I know there's a quite a big project going on at the moment with kind of implementing some new kind of systems to help with those hospital pressures. What is it that kind of how you're involved in dispatch? What what are kind of you in a, in essence? What are we kind of bringing to the table from a dispatch side to try and help the hospitals to help us? If you know what I mean. Yeah, we, we, we have a system that we all have access to. So that's all the hospitals, including some of the mental health trusts uh, and other parts of the NHS. We all have access to this system, which is called RADAR. That's R-A-I-D-R. I kind of, for the life of me, remember what it stands for. But anyway, we call it RADAR. And everybody inputs their current situation um, into that system. And if you go on the opening screen, you can see everything. NIAS. 40 emergencies unallocated, um, 20 healthcare professional urgents unallocated, level two clinical safety plan. Um, last hour saw us receive the most calls of, of the day. You know, it's information like that just to kind of communicate our pressure. We'll also put on there if we're experiencing handover delays at a specific hospital um, and also whether we're deflecting. Um, so we'll put that information on if a hospital has come under such pressure. Nobody has offered that mutual aid, then NIAS at, at some point or, or another will make that decision to deflect. Um, that deflect as in we make the decision to divert crews to another hospital. Yeah. But we use that just to make that decision based on the intelligence we've got from it, how many beds are available, how many they've got waiting in ED, what their weights are. Uh, and also, obviously, we have the information as to what ambulances are likely to go into each hospital as well, what's waiting. Um, so, yeah, all of that is is, is really helping. Um, yeah, it's it's the best it's been. I've, I've, I've been here 20-odd years, and, and, and definitely the last uh, six years we've had severe handover delays, if not a little bit longer. Um, and I think we all work together better than ever before now and manage the pressure better. I was very impressed with how it went yesterday. Um, it, we, 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 there was a real good effort yesterday amongst everybody and the day before. Um, so, yeah, you do feel like people are trying to help each other where possible. Um, obviously, the the, the the crews might say something totally different when they 
they get into a corridor that's just full of ambulances, ambulance crews and, and sisters obviously um, under pressure and, and feeling it. So, yeah, uh, we don't see that bit, which I'm glad about. <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons I went on the phones. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's that. I think that's kind of something that people don't realise is that dispatch is at the centre of making sure that this information sharing is successful and kind of bringing everybody to the table because we are the one service in the region that has to know what's happening in the entire region. Would you agree yeah. with that? Oh yeah, that, that, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, that's another thing about dispatch. It's uh, things can never go as quickly as we want them to. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's and that speed and that that commitment to try and free up bottlenecks and and what have you is uh, you know that's a, a big motivation for us because we can see everything. Uh, I know people will cringe, but uh, it used to be called the big picture. Um, but yeah. uh, it's true, we we see it all. We we know how many patients are waiting, you know, and our dispatchers have you know those concerns about you know those medical concerns about um, each patient and how some can deteriorate rapidly. So the motivation to to, to you know get our crews clear from the hospitals and and get to the next patient, it, it's absolutely huge. Yeah, and that kind of that communication and. I know it's it's been massively improved since COVID because COVID kind of pokes some holes in a lot of places, um, and having that communication and, and having it embedded and Jessup and everything like that. Do you think when it when it comes to hopefully it never happening up here, but possibly having a major incident like what happened, you know, at Manchester Arena or something like that? Yeah. You think you know the preparedness that we have because of the what you're laying down now the foundations you're laying how do you kind of feel about that and the role that dispatch would play if that did actually happen please don't but if it did yeah absolutely i've done a number of it um exercises over the years and um dispatch for the that that start of that incident setting up the communication links with the crews the command getting the commanders advising the wider nhs putting those close links we have a special um, talk group on our radio system that links in with the police, fire, and interoperability channel, so we can share that information quickly. That whole setup, gathering that information, communicating with everybody, there's a lot of things to do. Uh, it is hectic to begin with. When I've done exercises in the past, it's uh, yeah, you've, you've you've really got a sweat on. <laughs> um, and then you're doing that in a real life situation where you've got that that extra adrenaline pumping. Oh gosh! Wow! Yeah, we, we we obviously pray and hope it never happens. But um, dispatchers, I hope I've I've kind of covered. It's quite a complex job. It's not easy <laughs> to train. It takes a long time. Yeah. Um, to learn to become a really effective dispatcher. It's like four um, to five years, really, isn't it? Really, it is to become really you know strong and confident, and you know have that clear mindset, of able to switch tasks really quickly, knowing how to prioritize, knowing who to delegate to. Yeah, it's um, it's crazy. Once had a, a paramedic come in here to observe uh, since retired, um, and he was sat next to um, a dispatcher on the T's desk, as a, um, as, I, as I remember, and he says she's like an octopus. Mm-hmm. So I just can't believe how many things she's doing at once. It's just just crazy. You couldn't believe it. And I think a lot of people like that when they come in, yeah. Um, but the same with um, call handling, isn't it? When the yeah. health advisors um, listening to you know what the complexities of their 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 job, the questions they've got to ask and probe and 
information isn't always forthcoming from from callers either and it, sometimes it's not accurate people are panicking yeah um so yeah it's um yeah, it's, I mean, it is hectic in here, isn't it? It's uh, the whole. I mean, of the, the EOC, the man, EOC. it's a special place. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you've got to be mad to work here, or something like that. Oh yeah. yeah. Um. So just to kind of finish this off, there, what what would you say to someone who was thinking of coming to work at Nias and did want to go into dispatch? What? How would you describe the job to them, and what would you say were kind of the, you know, the the best kind of characteristics for someone to have that wants to come in and do that job? Because it is so, so demanding. Yeah, it it, it is. Um, and it's, um, I mean, if we're talking from a kind of, not that I'm wanting to kind of steal health advisors off. Don't you dare. But it, <laughs> if the audience was health advisor, uh, advisors who have also already got that experience of working, yeah, it's probably an easier sell. Uh, members of the public probably a little bit more difference but I, but I, I think what you've got to remember is we do make a difference mm-hmm. um we can make a significant and immediate impact on people's lives by getting that help to them quickly by kind of trying to make the whole of the nhs uh, move a bit quicker as well by actions that we can take but i think there's nothing better than a job that you, you know you're ser- serving your community mm-hmm. You're helping people. Um, there's job security. There's opportunities to develop and progress. Like I said, I started as a, a 999 call handler back in um, 2000. Are you giving um, away your age, man? Mm. <laughs> and now, you know, now I'm helping to manage the department. So, you know, the, there's loads of opportunities to develop and, pro- and progress. Um, and, and dispatch, at the moment, what we're discussing uh, is certainly sounding like it's going to be a different place in a year, mm-hmm. maybe a year from now or so, hopefully. Uh, teamwork's great. God, if you enjoy working in a team, there's no better place than this strong sense of camaraderie. Um, we have good relationships with duty officers, close working relationships with duty officers, clinical team leaders, because they work in here. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, all the clinicians um, that w- work in here. Um, and the call handlers, I think probably, I, I know I spent a... Um, six or eight months, I think it was, uh, in call handling um, as, a, as a section manager on a, um, a secondment. Um, and I could, kind of one of my aims was to kind of try and bring the two departments a bit closer together and get each other to understand um, the frustrations we all have mm. and kind of what kind of knocks us a bit. And yeah. It's the same with operational staff. Um, my son's a paramedic and I know I get a lot of us have kind of family that are that work out in, in operational land and vice versa. Um, and, and we do hear of the frustrations. Uh, there's always a reason for it. There's, mm-hmm. there's been an understanding of each other's roles, each other's pressures, what we go through, what we need from each other. I think that's really important. I know when I was through that, I was, I was keen to kind of understand that. Um, and there were some interesting comments on it, but it all resulted in just that lack of, lack of understanding what, what, what we all do. Yeah. And how difficult each each of our jobs is. Um, health advisors, dispatchers, communications officers, clinicians. Um, yeah, the whole lot. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Andy. It's been, been a pleasure. so... Thanks, Ria. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, Andy. Speak to you later. Cheers. Bye. Bye-bye.
Thanks for listening to RTB. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please like, review and subscribe the show in your podcast app. And if you've got time, why not listen to our previous episodes? If you'd like to get in touch about anything you've heard on RTB, or if you want to suggest a topic for us to cover in a future episode, you can email us at publicrelations at neas.nhs.uk.